talk to you about the regulation of electricity storage. The European Union resolved the Clean Energy for All Europeans package, which brought about a number of changes, including the introduction of an article on electricity storage in European legislation. I will first discuss what electricity storage is to give you a bit of a background on the technology and then dive into the question of regulation. I will focus on electricity storage at the EU level, so I will discuss several directives of the European Union. In the end, I will have a discussion on what that precisely means for four different groups, consumers of electricity, producers of electricity, transmission system operators and distribution system operators, TSOs and DSOs, as well as separate independent companies. So let's start by discussing the technology of electricity storage. Why do we need electricity storage? In our current system, electricity has to be consumed and as the same, at the same time that it is generated. For renewable energy, that is a problem, because what happens if the sun does not shine or the wind does not blow? Also, we envisage a future with a decentralized energy system, with small-scale production, people putting solar panels on top of their roofs. These people might consume electricity, but they can also feed electricity back into the grid as so-called prosumers. What is the solution for these problems? In essence, we have four options on how to deal with it. The first one would be dispatchable generation or supply. We could curtail the production from renewable energy sources and f force conventional power plants to operate more flexibly. The problem with that solution is the environmental impact. The second possibility is to reduce demand, modify our consumption pattern. But therefore, we need to have people on board, and that is difficult to organize. A third possibility would be to reinforce our existing electricity network. Build, for instance, a European supergrid if we have more electricity systems that are connected with each other, the flexibility increases. The problem with that option is it's rather expensive. And then finally, the fourth option would be electricity storage. Electricity storage, from my point of view, is the one solution, although all four need to work together, that ties best into people's status quo bias because they don't really have to change their behavior for that. There are several technological possibilities to make electricity storage happen. And I will briefly introduce you now to the main ones available on the market right now. They range from short-term solutions with low capacity to long-term solutions that could have large scale seasonal storage. The 
Short-term solution, one of the short-term solutions would be flywheels. Essentially, this is electricity used to accelerate or decelerate device to transfer stored electricity from or to the flywheel through integrated generators. The problem with that solution is it's a short-term solution. A bit longer-term solution would be batteries. Batteries are probably the best-known example for electricity storage technologies. The issue with batteries is they work fine in mobile phones, laptops, and even in cars. But if you want to store the electricity consumption of an entire city or even an entire country in batteries, this can lead to a capacity problem. For the medium term, there are more exotic solutions like compressed air storage or pumped hydro storage. But the one solution that is working most long-term and large-scale is power-to-gas. Power-to-gas works in the following way. We take electricity and use it for electrolyzers. The input for electrolyzers is water, H2O. Water, during the process of electrolyzers, is split into H2, hydrogen, and O, oxygen. We might then use the hydrogen to feed it into the natural gas grid, to store it, or for re-electrification. Hydrogen can be turned back into electricity through a normal fuel cell. This is the one device that is already included in many cars. All of these options are on the table. Now let's talk about the regulation of electricity storage. The regulation differs depending on which technology is actually used. But by and large, there are three big legislative instruments at the EU level that can tie into the regulation of electricity storage. For power to gas, the gas directive of 2009 is relevant. For the storing of renewable electricity, the Renewable Energy Directive and the Recast Renewable Energy Directive are relevant. And then finally, for all of these technological options, the Electricity Directive and the Recast Electricity Directive are relevant. So let's take them one by one. The first one is the Gas Directive of 2009. Obviously, that only is relevant for those electricity storage options that use gas, namely the option of power to gas. The gas directive of 2009 is dealing with gas storages. For example, Article 2, Section 9 gives a definition. But the question is, does the directive apply to something like power to gas, where hydrogen is produced? Article 1, Section 2 of the Gas Directive clarifies that the rules of the directive are applicable to natural gas only, but they shall also apply to other types of gas insofar as they can be technically and safely be injected into and transported through the natural gas system. Hydrogen is another type of gas. 
But the question is whether or not it can be technically and safely be injected into and transported through the natural gas system. If yes, then the gas directive applies, and with it, all regulations on storage of gas, etc. But what if not? In case of hydrogen produced from renewable electricity, the Renewable Energy Directive, RED, might apply. In the old Renewable Energy Directive of 2009, there was no explicit mentioning of green hydrogen. However, it already mentioned, obviously, wind and solar as renewable sources of electricity. With the introduction of the Clean Energy for All Europeans package, we now have the Recast Renewable Energy Directive of 2018. And recitals 59 and 60 include hydrogen from renewable energy sources as renewable gas. The consequence of that is green hydrogen is now covered under the Renewable Energy Directive. And Article 7 of the Recast Renewable Energy Directive says it counts towards the gross share of renewable energy consumption in a member state. But there are also implications but there are also implications for the guarantees of origin scheme. As regards guarantees of origin, recital 59, together with Article 19, Section 7, Subsection B of the Recast Renewable Energy Directive, establish that guarantees of origin shall now be issued for renewable gases, including green hydrogen. According to Article 19, Section 1, RED, each member state must be able to guarantee the origin of energy from renewable sources. Guarantees of origin have the sole function to prove to a final customer that a given share of energy was produced from renewable sources. However, a guarantee of origin can be transferred independently of the energy to which it relates, from one holder to the other, regardless of the energy to which it refers. The underlying rationale is to use guarantees of origin as evidence of green supply in order to allow consumers to differentiate between green and grey energy commodities, but do not of themselves confer a right to benefit from national support schemes. This system of guarantees of origin was in place for renewable electricity and will now be extended to renewable gases like hydrogen. Coming back to other electricity storage options. Electricity is regulated in the EU via the Electricity Directive. The old Electricity Directive of 2009 did not mention electricity storage, but that has changed with the Clean Energy for All Europeans package. There is a new Recast Electricity Directive of 2019, and in Article 2, Section 59, it defines energy storage. It explains that energy storage means, in the electricity system, deferring the final use of electricity to a moment later than when it was generated. And there is a second option in that article. 
or the conversion of electrical energy into a form of energy which can be stored, the storing of such energy, and the subsequent reconversion of such energy into electrical energy or use as another energy. The idea of this long definition is that all energy technologies for storage shall be covered. An interesting discussion in that respect is the question of intention. The future interpretation about intention will be one to watch. In cases where hydrogen is stored and not reconverted to electricity, is there a need for an intention to undergo this process with the aim to store electricity? What if someone is using power to gas to produce hydrogen and wants to produce hydrogen for the sole purpose of producing hydrogen and with no intention to store electricity? This would most likely not be considered as electricity storage. Mind you, Article 2, Section 59 of the Electricity Directive actually does not define electricity storage, but instead the term energy storage is used. Given that energy storage is broader than electricity storage, the described constellation would still be likely to fall within the definition, even without a deliberate storage intention. So that is the regulatory setup of the EU on electricity storage in a nutshell. But what is the consequence of that? Who is now actually alone, allowed in practice to own or operate electricity storage facilities? In essence, as I told you earlier, there are four options on the table. Electricity consumers could own and or operate electricity storages, electricity generation companies, electricity transmission system operators, TSOs, or distribution system operators, DSOs. And finally, there could be a new separate set of independent entities owning and or operating electricity storages. Let's look into all of those four options one by one and start with electricity consumers. When we look at the legislative setup at the EU level, theoretically, there is nothing stopping electricity consumers from owning electricity storage facilities. But why would they? What would be the incentive for the normal passive consumer to install, for instance, a battery in their house. The answer to that is that consumers might want to make sure that they are securely supplied with electricity. However, under EU legislation, Consumers are already entitled now to a steady stream of electricity. They just have to flip the switch and then electricity flows into their home. As the 
name passive consumer already suggests, there is also a different category of consumers. The active consumer, or in the literature often referred to as the prosumer. Those are the people with the solar panels on their roof. They do two things. They produce electricity via their solar panels and might feed it into their grid. But when the sun does not shine, they are consuming electricity back from the grid to heat their houses. This is where the term prosumer is coming from. Production and consumer merge together. Article 15, Section 5 of the Recast Electricity Directive allows for these activities. It says member states shall ensure that active cons customers owning an energy storage facility, A, have the right to a grid connection, obviously without a grid connection the whole construction doesn't work, B, are not subject to any double charges, including network charges. That is to say they should be exempted from paying double when they feed into the grid, network charges one, and when they take off from the grid, network charges two. C. They shall not be subject to disproportionate licensing requirements or fees. And D. They shall be allowed to provide several services simultaneously if this is technically feasible. This, again, is only relevant for active consumers, not so much for passive consumers, but it clearly paves the way and shows where the European Union wants to go. Now let's look at the second group of stakeholders that are described, electricity generation companies. Clearly, interest is there. Many companies are engaged in pilot projects. But is that actually allowed under European legislation? In short, the recast electricity directive does not bar ownership of storages for electricity generating companies. But it also does not explicitly allow this. The EU should clarify in the recast electricity directive what the position of electricity generation companies shall be. Let's have a look at the third option. Electricity TSOs and DSOs, transmission system operators and distribution system operators. The question of ownership of electricity storage facilities by DSOs and TSOs is regulated via Article 36, Section 1 and Article 54, Section 1 of the Recast Electricity Directive. The general rule is as follows. Both cannot own, develop, manage, or operate energy storage facilities. But there is an exception to that rule, and that exception is prescribed in Article 36, Section 2, and Article 54, Section 2 of the Recast Electricity Directive. According to that, member states, the member states, not the European Commission, the member states can allow in exceptional cases, DSOs and TSOs to own and operate, develop and or manage energy storage facilities. But there are three conditions that need to be met for that. 
The first one, A, is that other parties, following an open, transparent, and non-discriminatory tendering procedure that is subject to review and approval by the regulatory authority, have not been awarded a right to own, develop, manage, or operate such facilities, or could not deliver those services at a reasonable cost and in a timely manner. This has to be met with cumulatively with the second condition, B. Such facilities are necessary for the distribution system operators to fulfill their obligations under the directive for the efficient, reliable, and secure operation of the distribution system. And the facilities are not used to buy or sell electricity in the electricity markets. And there is a third condition. The regulatory authority has assessed the necessity of such a derogation and has carried out an assessment of the tendering procedure, including the conditions of the tendering procedure and granted its approval. Even if those three conditions are met and exceptions come into being, this tendering procedure has to be renewed every five years according to Article 36, Section 3, and Article 54, Section 4. In case of the TSOs, there must be a notification of derogation to the European Commission, according to Article 54, Section 3 of the Recast Electricity Directive. Besides this, there can be further exceptions, and they are under Preamble 63 of the Recast Electricity Directive and Articles 36, Section 4 and 55, 54, Section 5. The tendering requirement that I just explained does not apply to fully integrated network components or for the usual deprecation period of new battery storage facilities with a final investment decision until 4th of July 2019, provided that they are connected to the grid at the least two years after, they are integrated into the distribution system, they are used only for the reactive, instantaneous restoration of network security, and are not used to buy or sell electricity in the electricity markets, including balancing. This is very complicated. The question is, what is the full, what is a fully integrated network component? Because the whole provision hinges on that. We need to look back at Preamble 63. It says fully integrated network components can include energy storage facilities such as capacitors or flywheels, which provide important services for network security and reliability and contribute to the synchronization of different parts of the system. So flywheels and capacitors are actually meant by that. Let's go to the fourth and final category of stakeholders separate independent entities that want to operate as electricity storage companies. Under the Recast Electricity Directive, there is nothing prohibiting them from engaging in electricity storage in all of the described technologies. Having separate independent entities engaging in electricity storage is also in line 
with the overall rationale of unbundling in Europe to allow and encourage independent companies to enter the market. If the EU, and this is rather likely, favors this approach, then it should be made more explicit in the text of the directive. And the EU could also contemplate putting into place incentives for independent electricity storage operators. That was our podcast on the regulation of electricity storage and the changes that have been brought about by the Clean Energy for All Europeans package. My name is Ruven Fleming, and I'm from the University of Groningen. You can find us online at www.rug.nl. Thank you very much.